Well, good morning. It's great to be back again this morning to worship the Lord together as we study the Word of God. I'll ask you to bow with me for a word of prayer as we begin our time this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today, uh, another day to to worship you, another day to open your Word and to to hear from you. Uh, there's nothing more important in our life, nothing outside of this building or interacting with our day than hearing from you to open your word, to know that it is your word, the very breath of you, to uh, be able to understand it, to be given your spirit that we might understand it through our relationship with Jesus Christ. Our Savior is just uh, an overwhelming and really phenomenal reality for us as human beings, and we're grateful that we are your children and that you care for us, that you love us, that you would do nothing to us that would hinder our relationship with you, that the only thing that causes rifts in that relationship is our own sin. We're grateful that you are loving, forgiving God through Jesus Christ, and so we we revel in that, we languish in it here as we or we 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 are lavished with it because of your grace. And so, Lord, this morning as we worship you, we pray that you would be honored, that our hearts and minds would be focused on the truth, that we would think through these things clearly, that you would help us understand and how we can apply these truths to our lives, that we could be a people that would honor you in not only words but deeds, that our heart motivation would be right, that your great name would be glorified in our lives as well through the reflection of the gospel to others. And so we pray to that end. We know that you will attend to these things because you esteem your word even greater than your name. And so we praise you for that. We ask your blessing upon it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we this morning get to return our attention to the word of God, I'll ask you to take your Bibles with me and open them to Romans chapter 14. I'll just say thank you to Russ for filling in last week as he taught on Ecclesiastes and the great principles that are there for us as believers from the Old Testament. As you know, over the last several weeks, we have been learning about proper Christian behavior. Uh, We have actually seen much recently involving behavior in our world. We see it on the news feed at breakneck speed. We have heard of lockdown patterns in our lives. We have heard of riots. We have heard of how the world responds to crisis in their own life. And yet opposite of all of that is what we have learned thus far that reminds us of an often forgotten truth about the Christian life. And that truth is this, that the entirety of our Christian lives, the entirety from the day we have believed in Jesus Christ to the day that we go to be with Christ, the entirety of our Christian life, every aspect, thought, words, deeds, from no matter what it is we say to what it is we do in every area of life is born out of what we believe. 
This is what we see happening in our world, what you see in the responses that are going on in our world to situations that have taken place even in America are all responses to what people believe. They are living out their belief system, and that is true for the Christian. Every part of our life, every area of our life, whatever it is we say, whatever it is we do, in every area of life is born out of what we believe. And so that is simply to say that as Christians, we do not primarily, we are not primarily concerned about morality and conduct in and of themselves. As if our behavior, as if our morality and conduct is some kind of isolated endeavor. To do that and to think in that way is for us to be like the world. The world that is flashed before our eyes as we wake up in the morning and as we go and interact. And it is like other works-oriented false religions in our world today. They are primarily concerned with their idea, their definition of morality, and thereby that defines their conduct in hopes that someday they might have enough on a good column in order to appease whatever God they are serving, whether it is a God of their own picture, a God in the mirror that they look, that looks just like them or some other false God that they have developed. But what we as Christians are primarily concerned with when it comes to our behavior is that it is born out of a rightly understood doctrine. Our morality, our conduct is the outflow of what we believe about what we understand in the Scriptures, a rightly understood doctrine. In other words, having an outward moral life or an outward obedient life only is actually works righteousness and is not true Christianity. True Christianity, true Christian living is obedient living that is born from an understanding of true doctrine. It's not simply an outward conformity to some kind of rules and regulations. Buddhism has a system of merit. I was listening this week as I was driving, where whereby the the system within Buddhism is a system by which you earn merit. If you bring gifts to the Buddhist priest, you are doing things which earn merit. That's what it's called. It's called merit for them. And that's the idea. You would gain some kind of way in which you might earn some kind of hopeful eternity. The priest would pray for you because you brought them something. But true Christian behavior is not like that. True Christian behavior shows itself in deeds and acts and activities that are surely outward, right? They're outward things that we do, those that are seen, those things that are heard by others as we are living, but they are those outward things because of believing and understanding true doctrine. And that is what we have heard here in the book of Romans as the Apostle Paul has taken us through this entire study. First came doctrine in chapters 1 through 11, and now from chapters 12 on, we are hearing about how we are to live in light of that doctrine. 
in light of this salvation that we have in Jesus Christ, this glorious redemption that we have been given by God, justified by God through Christ by faith in Him. So, without a right understanding of the truth of God, we cannot live as we ought to live. And that becomes exponentially more difficult and even potentially more damaging for the church when it comes to actions that are not directly prohibited in the Scriptures. In other words, in living out this understanding of true doctrine, it becomes a bit foggy at times for us. It becomes murky when we get into these issues that we have been studying over the past several weeks. These issues in which we make decisions, we do things in life, we participate in things, or we don't participate in things, and the Scriptures don't necessarily prohibit or allow these kinds of things. There's no specific verses, no specific texts, no specific passages that we can turn to where we have clear, direct commands from God as to that thing is wrong. And the things of life that we might choose to participate in or not participate in, depending on our conscience in a particular area or activity. That's what we're talking about. And so it's imperative that we tread carefully as we make these kinds of decisions because of the potential for trouble caused to others in the church. This is the family of God. This is the body of Christ. We are one in Christ. We are family members together because we are in Christ. And we have the potential to damage one another, to damage the body of Christ when we don't think carefully about these things. And this has been Paul's concern all along. We all have an obligation We have an obligation as Christian brothers and sisters, those who are in Christ, we have an obligation to protect the purity and unity of the family of God. We have an obligation as brothers and sisters to protect the church. We know that Paul said to the Corinthian believers concerning these gray area issues, that while 1 Corinthians 10, I think it's 23, while all things are permissible, not all things are profitable. That's what Paul said to the Corinthians in dealing with them on the issue. And what God means through the Apostle Paul there is that while it may be part of our freedom in Christ to participate in anything that is unprohibited by Scripture, it may not be wise to participate for a whole host of reasons, and one of the biggest is how it could affect the conscience and behavior of other Christians. Now, that's really the general principle that is being emphasized here in Romans chapter 14. Each Christian has a personal responsibility to protect the consciences of one another. We have a personal responsibility to help the conscience, to help our brothers and sisters of Christ not violate their own conscience as it's bound to the Word of God. And last time we were here, I gave us 10 questions that we can ask ourselves in order to to help us decide whether participation in a gray area activity is profitable or not. 
All right, all things are permissible, but not all things are profitable. So these questions that we have, that we gave ourselves last time, were to help us decide whether it's profitable or not. Not to decide whether it's permissible. All things are permissible, but it may not be profitable. So we wanted to decide whether it's profitable or not. And I was thinking through those questions this last week, and I began to think about an overriding principle that we need to learn from all of those questions, all of those 10 questions we listed. And that is this, that in our Christian living, we all, need to, we all need to ensure that we are avoiding the extremes. We need to avoid the extremes. And that's what we can see Paul uh, initially exhorting us about here in verses 5 through 12. He he reemphasizes, if you will, what I believe to be the, the two most important questions that we ought to ask ourselves from that list of 10. The two most important questions, and they were these. Is this participation, is this activity, is these words that I'm speaking, is it glorifying to God and glorifying of God? And then secondly, will it ensure the Lordship of Christ in my life? Will it ensure the Lordship of Christ in my life? Let's just listen to what Paul says in verses 5 through 12. He says, One man regards one day above another, another regards every day alike. Let each man be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day observes it for the Lord. And he who eats does so for the Lord, for he gives thanks to God. And he who eats not, for the Lord he does not eat, and gives thanks to God. For not one of us lives for himself, and not one dies for himself. For if we live, we live for the Lord. Or if we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end... Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. But you, why do you judge your brother? Or you again, why do you regard your brother with contempt? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall give praise to God. So then, each one of us shall give account of himself to God. And you can stop right there. You notice first in verse 5, the reality of being at the extremes of, a, of an issue, an issue that can be a troubling issue. One man regards one day above another, and the other man is at the other extreme. He regards every day the same. Now, you'll pick up commentaries, you'll pick up books on Romans, and you'll read through them, and some will try to say that the view of these two individuals is the problem. That the real reason there's trouble here is because these people have the view they have. In other words, because they are thinking the way they're thinking in their own view, it may or may not be wrong, whatever their view is, but simply having that view is wrong, they will say. That's how some commentators and Christians think about this text. 
but having a particular view isn't the problem. The problem arises not because one person has a view and the other has a view. The problem arises between believers when we begin to view our other Christian brothers and sisters through the lens of our own view. When we begin to then say, and evaluate other believers by means of our view. In other words, we begin to view others as spiritually less if they do not view things the same way we do. And that's an extreme that is dangerous for the body of Christ. It really doesn't matter whether you're in the camp of the weak in the faith Christian or the strong in the faith Christian. It operates the same from both sides. We cannot view others and their spiritual condition through the lens of our particular view on whatever issue it is. Here, particularly, it's what day is supposed to be held in highest esteem. So let's not be mistaken. Let's not misunderstand as we begin this morning. Having a particular view isn't a problem. We are all growing. We are all in different places in our Christian maturity. We are all in different places in our Christian understanding. We are growing in our understanding of doctrinal truth. The problem we must be careful of is viewing others or how we view others' spiritual condition through our particular view. We have to be careful of that. Notice how Paul deals with this issue here in Romans chapter 14. First, he says, verse 5, let each man be fully convinced in his own mind. Let every person be convinced. How? In his own mind. Now, that simply means that when it comes to the gray area issues and avoiding the extremes, we need to think through them very carefully and very thoroughly. In other words, gray area issues are not things in which you and I as Christians participate in some kind of mechanical way or that we participate in them or not participate in them in some ignorant way without having thought it through. You can't just go willy-nilly, right? That means that you cannot participate and you cannot participate or participate or not participate simply because someone else participates or doesn't participate. Can't do it like that. Can't think about gray areas like that. We have to determine the issue for ourselves. We have to be convinced in our own mind. We have to bind ourselves to doctrinal truth. We have to tie our minds up in general principles and general precepts from Scripture in order to be able to answer those questions that we are asked. We are asking ourselves those ten questions. We have to be fully convinced in our own minds, as our minds, Romans 12, verse 2, are being renovated by the Word of God. That is simply to say that we need to know and understand exactly why we are doing it, so that we can give reasons for what it is we are doing. We have to know why we're doing what it is we are doing. Listen, on a very practical level, If we don't know why we're doing something, if you're participating in some activity, doing something, and you don't know why you're doing it, here's what happens. 
Here's what happens. Instead of giving reasons for what you're doing because you understand why you're doing it, instead of that, you begin to defend not giving reasons from Scripture, but you could begin to defend the activity itself. And when you start to defend yourself and become the defense attorney for yourself, then those people involved in that kind of conversation and that kind of conflict just begin to argue over the activity. They argue over doing a certain thing rather than being humble and having a discussion to understand the reasons for the activity. And notice how Paul speaks of the problem in verse 5. Notice what he says. He says, one man regards one day above another. Another regards every day alike. It's an interesting word because in the original language, it's the word crino. And the word crino is the word translated for judge. You judge, you make a judgment. We could even say you make a decision about something based upon your information that you have. That's a good thing. We need to be making judgments, don't we? We need to be making judgments. We make judgments about a whole lot of things on any given day. But what we do with that judgment can be troublesome if we're not careful. Right? And where we get our information in order to make that judgment, we have to be careful. In fact, that's exactly what Paul was saying in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. I want to go over there for a moment. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, just turn there really quickly with me. Because this is all about being informed, having information, knowing, right? Paul says, speaking to the Corinthian believers who were having all these issues in the church, he says, now concerning things sacrificed to idols, he had spoken about that before and now he returns to it. Concerning things sacrificed to idols, we know that We all have knowledge. And what he means by that is those who have been saved by faith in Jesus Christ, we understand the truth. We understand what's going on with that. We understand that an idol is nothing, right? And he says, but that knowledge can do something if you're not careful. That knowledge, that understanding can make you very arrogant if you are swinging in one extreme. Love is the very thing that edifies. Love builds up. Knowledge is great, knowing it is great, but not if it doesn't move you in a direction that builds others up. So if anyone supposes that he knows anything, he is not yet known as he ought to know. In other words, yeah, you know some things, but you don't know everything. You don't know everything, but if anyone loves God, he's known by him. In other words, he has a relationship with God and he is loving God. How how do we love God? With our whole heart, whole mind, our body, our strength, and therefore we love our neighbor as ourselves. That's the idea. Therefore, concerning things, eating things sacrificed to idols, he gets back to the subject. We We know there is no such thing as an idol, at least in the world, and that there is no God but one, right? We know that all those idols, people worship them, they call them gods, they, they, they bow down to them, they offer sacrifice to them, but they're not gods. There's only one God, the real God. We have that knowledge, we know that. Or even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, 
Right? In other words, he's just acknowledging the fact that what the world does is worship all these kinds of things. But there's only one God, the Father from whom are all things, and we exist for him, and one Lord Jesus Christ by whom are all things, and we exist through him. Paul is boiling it down saying, listen, that's the knowledge. That's, that's the real understanding. Right? These, all these people outside the faith, they, they don't know any of that. However, not all men have this knowledge, he says, verse 7. But some being accustomed to the idol until now, right? But some who, who have been saved, they were accustomed to that thing until now. They're, now these are new, new baby Christians. They eat food as if it were sacrificed to an idol, and their conscience being weak is defiled. See, if they, if they eat that, they think that's a real God. They think that meat is something that's been defiled by that sacrifice. And so they eat it, their conscience. Their conscience isn't informed yet on the truth. The real understanding of Scripture, there's only one God. That's a nothing. They're, they're weak. They're, they're accustomed to that idol until now. And so their conscience is weak. Paul says, but food will not condemn us, commend us to God. Right? Eating the food, not eating the food. We're no, we're no better before God if we eat it or don't eat it. We're neither worse if we do or better if we don't. Yeah, right? The extreme. Don't go to those extremes because they don't do anything with our relationship with God. But take care lest this right, that's the word translated liberty there in the New American Standard, take care let this right of yours, this freedom, take care lest it become a stumbling block to the weak. Your practice of this thing becomes something that causes the weak to sin. That's the idea. For if someone sees you who, having knowledge, dining in an idol's temple, will not his conscience, if he's weak, isn't it going to be strength that he thinks sacrificed to idol? He's a follower. He's following the mature. And so he's going to do that. And his conscience, he, he doesn't know why he's doing it. He can't give reasons for what he's doing. He's just doing it. His conscience is violated by that. It's not a good thing. Through your knowledge, he was weak as ruined. This brother who sake Christ died. And so by sinning against the brethren and wounding their conscience when it's weak, you sin against Christ. You see what he's saying? He says, you, you, you thought so little of your brother's conscience that you went ahead and did that thing no matter what, even though his conscience was bound to that. And so now you're sinning against him. You say, wait a minute, I'm not doing anything that's wrong. I'm not doing anything that's violated. That's true. You're not doing anything that's violated by Scripture, but you're doing something that violates the conscience of another because you're not concerned about them and you know better. So if food causes my brother to stumble, Paul says, I'll never eat it again. I'll never eat that meat again. Why? Not because the meat's bad, not because the issue's bad, not because the view of it is bad, but because I just don't want to cause them to sin. And so go back to Romans chapter 14. Because in Romans chapter 14, Paul says, let each person be convinced in his own mind. And that means that we each must study the Scriptures. Each one of us. It really doesn't matter on where the spectrum of the Christian life you're at. You must get into the Word of God. You must study the Scriptures. You must be able to rightly discern and be able to humbly give reasons and to know that we that you can forgo your Christian liberty if necessary for the sake of others and their conscience. Listen, it's not enough for any of us to say, well, well, listen, so-and-so does it. Their family doesn't do that, so I'm not going to do that. No, we have to know why from Scripture. 
We have to be convinced from the truth in our own minds. And when we understand the scriptures, then we're able to able and equipped to have a humble discussion about it with others. And so God's word tells us, let every person live according to his own conscience. Live according to your conscience. That's not the, the foolish statements that you hear in our day and age. Oh, just follow your heart. Do what your heart says. Follow. That's, that's nonsense. Because the heart is deceitfully wicked above all things. Paul says, look, bind your conscience to the truth. Don't violate your conscience as it's bound to the word of God. Be informed by the truth of God's word in all things. That's what being fully convinced means. Live by an informed faith, an informed faith, an informed belief. In fact, notice how he ends this chapter in verse 22 and 23. The faith which you have, that's your belief system. That's, this is what you live by. This is how, why I started that way, because this is, this is how we live out our lives. The faith which you have, have as your own conviction before God. Well, how are you going to have that as your own conviction before God if you know nothing about what God says? You couldn't, you don't know whether you're convinced of that or not. You're just doing it. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. But he who doubts is condemned. See, that's the lack of faith. He who is doubting, going along in life, wondering, am I doing the right thing? Am I doing the right thing? Is condemned. Right, And Paul returns back to the issue of eating meat. He's condemned if he eats. It doesn't mean he's doing something that, that actually is wrong. No, it's his conscience is violated because he's eating not from faith. He's eating not from his own conviction and belief system. And whatever is not from faith is what? Sin. This is why the Bible says don't violate your conscience. Have your conscience informed by the truth of the Word of God. And then live according to your conscience. Always live according to your informed conscience. Don't be convinced in a wrong way. Understand what and why you're doing what you're doing. And that that will help protect yourself from the extremes. You'll remain balanced as your conscience is informed by the truth. Now, we all understand that the conscience isn't infallible. We understand that. And therefore, that even makes it more imperative because we don't have an infallible conscience that each and every one of us has to be open to teaching. We have to be open to the truth. We have to be open to hearing what the doctrine says, to being instructed. We have to all be ready to listen to the truth, to be unwilling to examine truth, to be unwilling to listen to the reasoning of others who, who have looked at the Word of God, to be unwilling to humbly think it through and have a thoughtful discussion from the Word of God is to bring trouble into church. So like the questions we ask ourselves, Paul says we should know exactly why. Why we are behaving as we are and be able to give reasons, reasons from an understanding of the truth of Scripture. To know what God requires, to know those general principles and general precepts, to understand what He requires, to bring glory to God. So that, that's the first emphasis that Paul is making here. 
that that the glory of God is at stake in His people. And glorifying God through being biblically informed, which will equip us to avoid the extremes. But notice secondly, notice secondly, that Paul also highlights the importance of the Lordship of Christ in all our decisions. And of course, that is one of the 10 questions that we're asking ourselves, right? Is my decision going to undermine or weaken the evidenced Lordship of Christ in my life? The evidenced Lordship of Christ in my life. And maybe, maybe this next week we'll, we'll put all those 10 on little, a uh, little card that maybe we can have in our Bible and, and, and laminate it and we'll hand those out. Uh, Either way, that's one of the questions. Is my decision going to undermine or weaken the evidenced lordship of Christ in my life? And I say evidenced for a reason, because that is not just saying that Jesus is Lord of my life. I can go around and say that all the time. There's a lot of people who say, well, Jesus is Lord, Jesus is Lord, He's Lord of my life. People who say they believe in Jesus Christ, but they're not living it in any way. So when when it's evidenced lordship in your life, it is living with him as Lord in what I do and how I make my decisions. He's Lord. He's master. He's the ruler. He's the one who is leading this thing. And so notice, as I've read already, but I'll read them again from verse 6 to the end of verse 12. This is how Paul reiterates this whole lordship idea. He says, he who observes the day observes it for the Lord. And he who eats does so for the Lord. For he gives thanks to God, and he who eats not for the Lord, he does not eat and gives thanks to God. For not one of us lives for himself, and not one dies for himself. For if we live, we live for the Lord. If we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be both Lord of the dead and the living. So why do you judge your brother? Or again, why do you regard your brother with contempt? For we're all going to stand before the judgment seat of God. As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall give praise to God. So then let each one of us know this, we shall give an account of himself to God. And so the important principle that we need to grasp from these verses is this. Not only are we to be sure in our minds about gray areas as to why we may do something or not do them, like verse 5 says, not go to the extremes, but also we have to realize that there's an even higher motive for being humble with each other in these areas. And that is that each Christian is actually under the ultimate lordship of Christ. And therefore, that ought to be reflected in our actions. This is the highest level that any argument can be raised. This is the highest place that, that any, anyone can go when it comes to these gray issues. We are both, we are ultimately under the lordship of Jesus Christ. In other words, how we understand ourselves before God as we decide 
to go one way in a decision or to go another way in a decision in these gray areas is actually more important than the issue itself. Let me say that again. How we understand ourselves before God when it comes, when we're deciding which way to go and whatever decision it is, is actually more important than the issue itself. That is simply to say that gray area decisions cannot simply be made in some kind of vacuum, in some kind of unthought out, unreasoned place. We are the Lord's. That's what Paul says in verse 8. If we live, we live for the Lord. If we die, we die for the Lord. This is one of the reasons that makes suicide such a heinous reality. You don't get to choose that. You don't get to own that part of your life. You don't get to decide that day. That is God's decision. That is God's choice. He's the Lord. He's the Lord of our life. He's the Lord of our death. And so when we think about life in those terms, we realize very quickly that the Christian life isn't some kind of theory. It isn't some kind of nebulous idea that's outside, some kind of trial and error experiment, if you will. I'll try this today, but I won't do this tomorrow. No, this is real. This is real. We are united with Christ. Really sad to me, but many who claim to know Christ are oftentimes only Sunday Christians. Claim Jesus Christ. I have a relationship with Christ. I love God. I... I read my Bible or whatever it is, the little verse they read per day or whatever. But that's the the extent of their Christian lives. It's only reflected on Sunday. It only comes out one day a week when they attend some kind of service. But the rest of the week, the decisions they make, the life they live is no different than the world around them. But our Christianity is not to be like that. True Christianity, in fact, is not like that at all. Jesus is Lord. He is Lord. We don't make him Lord. He doesn't become Lord sometime later in life after he's now our Savior for so many years. No, he is Lord. He is Master, and we are to live that reality in all that we do. And so when we consider these gray area issues, these gray area decisions, we have to think them out. And we must be thoughtful of whose we are. We are the Lord's. Paul says, in effect, when when it comes to making decisions about your Christian liberties, when it comes to making decisions about these gray area issues in life, and our life even today is filled with these gray area issues, with all that's coming at us during this global pandemic, the most important consideration to think about is the Lordship of Christ. It's the desire to please Him. That's the idea. You notice there's a phrase that is continually repeated in these few verses. It's, uh, when I was reading it, I was emphasizing the phrase, right? It's right there in verse 6 a few times, for the Lord, for the Lord, for the Lord, three times there in verse 6. 
In verse 8, it's two times. We live for the Lord. We die for the Lord. And in the rest of the verses, it is implied, this lordship of Christ, this reality that we'll all stand before God, the reality that He rules, that He's the King, that He's the owner, that we answer to Him, that we don't get to just choose and answer to ourselves. We answer to God. In other words, both the weak in the faith and the strong in the faith really doesn't matter which where you are in that spectrum. If you have thought your view through, whatever the issue is, if you've thought your view through, know that you are acting under the ultimate lordship of Christ. That that view and that action and that activity and that word, and then whatever it is you say and how it is you're doing it, you're going to stand before Christ. And therefore, when you act, when you do it or when you don't do it, your primary concern cannot be for your own liberty or your own view. Your primary concern is to be to honor the Lord. What's going to honor the Lord? It doesn't really matter what side of the in-faith equation we are on. Doesn't matter where you are in your maturity level. Doesn't matter how long you've known Christ. It doesn't matter whether you're weak in the faith or strong in the faith. The motive behind our decision and our actions is to be the same. Is the lordship of Christ, is the lordship of Christ evidenced in my actions? Am I thankful to God? That's what Paul says, right? These two people. One observed a day, he observed it for the Lord. And one eats, he did it for the Lord, for he gives thanks to God, and the one who doesn't eat is giving thanks to God. They're thanking God for what God is leading them, how God is directing them through the truth of the Word of God, rightly divided, absorbed into their heart and life. They are living it out, and they are walking by faith in that. The Lordship of Christ is evidenced. So here you have two Christians in the church. They're disagreeing about what to eat, disagreeing about what to celebrate. They have different views. They've received their information from different places, sometimes outside the Word of God from the general principles. They're just getting information from resources. But you notice they also have something in common. Even though their views are different, their opposite views, they have something in common. They are both under the Lordship of Christ. They're both concerned with ensuring that they actually behave as a Christian should behave. They both have that concern. And both ends of the spectrum, they're both eating to the Lord and they're both giving thanks to God. You say, so what's the point? The point is this, unity. That's the point, unity. The point is that there should be no place for division to take place in the church because of gray area issues. The stronger in the faith should not despise the weak in the faith. Remember that from before? Now accept the one who is weak in the faith, verse 1 of chapter 14. And the weak in the faith should not spiritually judge the strong in the faith, right? Who are you to judge the servant of another, verse 4 said. Why? Because what's more important? 
What's more important is that each one is ensuring that they are convinced by Scripture in their conscience and that they are motivated by the Lordship of Christ as they give thanks to God. Am I serving the Lord in it? That's what we have to ask ourselves. So we have to ask ourselves, am I serving the Lord in this? Not am I serving myself, am I serving the Lord with my conscience bound to the truth of God, even though I have a, a disagreement by way of view with somebody else on a gray area issue, I can still live according to my viewpoint, yet in my viewpoint not disregard or not judge the other person, and vice versa the same way. Whether you're weak in the faith or strong in the faith, you do the same reality. You live according to that and allow the others to live according to that by not judging. That's how we love each other. Am I serving Christ? This is true in every area of our lives. Paul says in verse 7, For not one of us lives for himself, not one of us dies for himself. We live, we live for the Lord. If we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. And to this end is Christ died, right? Christ died, lived and died in order to reveal the reality of who he is, his lordship. He is Lord of the living and the dead. So, verse 10, why, why then, if that's the understanding, why then in these decisions that you have an informed conscience by the Word of God, you glorify God and can real, and the reality of the Lordship of Christ being lived out in your life, why then in that do you judge your brother? Why do you, as we've entitled this series, act like God in the life of your brother and sister? Or again, why do you regard your brother with contempt? You see, he runs both sides, the weak, judging, the strong, despising, contempt. You're going to stand before the judgment seat of God. The way you consider one another is the issue, not your view. God's not going to judge your view on whether it's a gray issue or not. He said all things are permissible. God doesn't really care about your view on it. He wants your view to be hemmed in by the general truth of Scripture as you live out this love for your brother and sister by not judging and not despising them. Each one of us is going to give an account of himself. God. We cannot think that Paul is just speaking in a general way. Not speaking in a general way. He isn't saying that because of all humanity is going to face judgment one day before God, then we better think now how we should live. This isn't a general statement to all humanity. There's truth to that, that all people will stand before God. But remember here in Romans, Paul's writing to Christians. This is specifically writing to Christian people. And so these words are directed at you and me, those who have faith in Jesus Christ. And what he's saying is this, no Christian, no Christian in any of their activities should serve their own ends. Should just serve their own ends. None of us should live in such a way that we are asserting our own wills arbitrarily of thinking of others. Living according to our own uninformed understanding. That's not what Paul says, no. No, we Christians are always to be governed by our relationship to the Lord. So glorifying God, is it evidencing the Lordship of Christ in my life? See, and that brings us full circle, doesn't it? 
That brings us full circle because the problem with us oftentimes as Christians is that we get ourselves so immersed in the minutia of life that we forget the, the greatest principle of all. That we need to live our lives fully to the glory of God so that he is praised and pleased and not ourselves. So our living is in the Lord's hand. Our dying is in the Lord's hand. And every detail in between is in the Lord's hand. And so no matter the day, no matter the activity, no matter what it is we do, we are to be motivated by the Lordship of Christ. By the Lordship of Christ. Christ governs it all what Paul is saying. He is the Lord. And what matters above everything is my relationship to him. I really believe, folks, that if we truly grasp these overarching principles, we've asked ourselves those 10 questions. We understand our mind is to be renovated by the word of God. We understand how we're to respond to those outside the church. We're, We're understanding how we're to respond to one another in the church, if we understand these overarching principles to glorify God and to and to have the evidence lordship of Christ be in my life at all times, it would revolutionize not just our lives, but also how others see the gospel as we proclaim it. This is why I've I've entitled this entire series: "Don't be God in the lives of others for the sake of the gospel." For Christ will no longer simply be someone we talk about as Savior when we live that way. It's not going to be someone who's just like, oh yeah, Christ is somebody we, we say we love. Kind of like a uh, some people call like a fire insurance in your back pocket when they talk about their salvation. No, they will see the trueness of Christ in us. They will see who Christ is. That he is Lord. When we embrace these principles, they will see that he is master. When God is glorified in our thought processes, in our decision making, in our activities, when it's evidence lordship of Christ in our life, they will see that he is our true Savior. And it is to be that reality that motivates the why and the what of our decisions in gray area issues. I don't know. I was reminded when Russ was preaching last week out of Ecclesiastes of the end of Ecclesiastes in chapter 12, when Solomon said, in the end, fear God, keep his commandments. When all said and done, when everything's boiled down to the nitty gritty, in the end, fear God and keep his commandments. As long as you can say with biblical understanding that you are submitting to the Lord and that you are not focusing on self as the central part of your concern, then what you do is okay. What you do is okay. The Christian is to be always submitted to the Lord and to His will and to His way. The way we love each other is by not judging one another and by not condemning 
despising one another, rather choosing not to put obstacles in one another's way, not sinning against one another, carefully considering others. And when we can forgo a freedom, we forgo it for the sake of the weak. And when the weak can forgo a freedom, they forgo it for the sake of the strong. All born out of an understanding of doctrine, living out what we believe under an understanding that is to glorify God and evidence the Lordship of Jesus Christ in our life. We do that. We'll live not at the extremes. We'll live in the balanced middle and the church will be protected from trouble. Well, we'll get more next time. We'll come back and try to finish up this chapter next week. And uh, praise God, we'll be here together in the, in the church. So we trust you'll be able to join us. And thank you for uh, your prayers during this time as we have uh, attempted to continue to teach and build us up in Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you once again for our time this morning. Thank you for your word, the truth of it. Lord, it's such a a glorious reality to understand just how it is we are to live. When the gospel is at stake, when others don't know Jesus Christ, they need to see the clear gospel, which means we, we can indeed become all things to all people for the sake of the gospel. And when we deal with one another in the church, the Christians, Christian to Christian, we and allow others to live according to their conscience, protecting their conscience by our own actions, but also not despising, not despising others as we look at them through our view, and not judging others, Lord, as we might look at them through our view as well. Help us be balanced in these things, trusting you, trusting ourselves to you, because we know that you are sovereign in it all, that you control it all. And knowing that you care for us, Lord, that you are in charge, that you are protecting us, that nothing outside of us can really do anything to us without you allowing it. And so we trust you for that. And we know that protection, even of our physical state, especially of our physical state, is nothing to do with what we do here and everything to do with your providential care of us. It really doesn't matter. We can hide ourselves in a bubble and still we're going to die. We'll stand before you one day knowing that we will answer for everything we thought, said, did. And we're thankful that in Jesus Christ we will not be condemned, but what we do here will bear fruit through the reward that we offer back to you. So I pray that our actions and our attitudes toward one another will be such that it would not be wood, hay, and stubble burned up, but that it would be fruit that would produce clear rewards that we might offer to you a great gift. Thank you for saving us in Jesus Christ. Help us to serve in this way. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.